This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, with the NBA trade deadline approaching, we look back into the archives at some of the biggest NBA deadline trades. Part 1, 1965 to 1996. And boy, oh boy, does Joey have some very detailed notes in this one. We talk about the Stepien rule and Dean Barrett appears more than you think. It's 6.19 on Sunday, the 4th of February, 2024. We've just, well... Fresh off a Wildcats game, a jersey retirement, and an announcement, I guess. Fairly big one, yes. So go back and listen to the last one if you haven't already, because it would have been released not long before this one. We're going to be really quick at the top here, aren't we, Stewie? We just thought that we might put another timestamp in, because the first timestamp you hear after this will be from last year. Yeah. <laughs> a long time Holy ago. crap time goes past quickly, <laughs> doesn't it? It's uh, Every year it goes quicker. So back in the day when we tried to release an episode every single week, we'd have a number of specials, and you may have heard our choke specials, our NBA redrafts, interviews. We've done a whole bunch of things over the years. So we recorded a reflection on the history of the NBA trade deadline because last year's trade deadline was so interesting with the Kevin Durant move, obviously, that we thought, oh, let's go back and have a look at everything. Now, it was a really interesting experience because we realized that the record-keeping was pretty poor, wasn't it? it was. Not every single one was... On NBA.com? No, you would have thought an official website like that would have everything, but certainly looking at everything from Wikipedia to just general websites to, I don't know, articles that people had written because they're big fans of a particular team, there were some very, very thorough lists out there as well. And there were, yes. there were some others that weren't quite as thorough, maybe focused on the biggest names in the history of trades, but there was some really cool stuff out there. Absolutely, there was. And your notes were fantastic. You've done some really great research. So your history is voice a lot on this first one. Sorry. I'll come in a little bit more. No, no, it's no, okay. No, well, I... it's just our division of labor. I was doing a little bit more editing at the time. You were doing a bit more research. That's often how we do things. And so that's fine. That's how it is. But you'll hear my voice a little bit more on the other parts. But I've really enjoyed listening back and editing this one. Lots of interesting stuff. Lots of stuff I'd forgotten. If you're a bit younger, you might learn some things, or maybe even if you're not a bit younger, if you don't know the NBA as well as us, and obviously we did research to find out a lot of this stuff too. But uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy. Obviously, because we recorded at this time last year, there will be some references to last year's All-Star Game, for example. There's some references to stuff that happened last season. Obviously, at that point, we didn't know Denver went on to win the championship. We didn't know how Phoenix would go after the Durant trade. So I guess listen to it in the context of it being recorded pretty much 12 months ago. Yeah. And I guess just following on from one of the things that you said, even people that do follow the NBA as closely as we do, we'll probably still get something out of this because we've actually gone to the trouble of looking at what did the future first round picks or the future second round picks, what did they become? Are there any in there that are quite interesting? And there's one in particular that I thought was was very, very interesting. I probably uh, shouldn't give too much away. Yes, this, I'm this curious little... to know which one you're talking about. But... Yeah, no, absolutely. We tried our best. We didn't always find out. And look, there were some second round picks that we didn't always work out, for example. We tried our best. To, to work out who the picks became, to try and work out the implications. And I guess once we've released all these episodes and had a chance to re-listen to them, maybe we'll try and come up with the top five best deadline years of all time or something. I don't know. That's something we can think about in the future. Mm. I haven't had a chance to rank them yet. Uh, the other thing is that we found some that didn't appear on the NBA.com list. We might try and squeeze them into the recording. So we'll look through our notes there as well. So it's not exhaustive. We've done our best, but we have done a lot of research and, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Not exhaustive, but very exhausting. <laughs> so sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of the history of the NBA trade deadline. Good. Oh, it's normally where you say, or if you're standing, stand back and... No, I, do, I, I, just, no, I just went into hibernation mode. <laughs> it's 8.18 on Sunday, the 26th of February, 2023. And look, the timestamp doesn't matter a great deal here, does it? Because we're going to be taking a trip down memory lane, but we like to put the timestamp in just in case... People go, why the hell didn't they didn't talk about that? It does yeah. actually make a difference, though, because your computer is four seconds behind mine. Yes, I did notice that, too. Oh yeah, different time zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we often talk about it. We talk about it. You do. We joke about it's it. Anyway. So, although the NBA has kept a trade deadline dating back to January 1947, they've only kept deadline-related transaction records officially since 1987. After the recent trade deadline with Kevin Durant, and many people, I think, legitimately speculating if that was the greatest trade deadline of all time, we thought, well, we better put this to the test, hadn't we? We better actually go back and have a look, and we can try and get some idea of where the Kevin Durant one fits in. And we won't really know where this fits in 
for a little while because obviously a long while with the draft picks. Yeah, well, that's it. And it, yeah. obviously, if Phoenix go on and win the championship this season, like a lot of people think they will, then there's a fair way we could look at it and go, well, you know what? Like that's a massive trade that's made a huge difference. There are a number of trades that we'll talk about over this series where we look at players that have maybe come in and made a huge impact to teams that have gone on and won championships. But yeah, we won't know, as you say, with a lot of these first and second round picks, God, how many second rounds? Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, and that takes me to my next question, Stewie, because what stood out for you? Was there anything that was surprising going through this exercise? Because one of the things for me was I always thought, oh, draft picks were hardly ever traded back in the day. But as you kind of go down the list, you're like, oh, okay, there's actually a few more than you realize. And there's been a couple of deals where there's been like multiple second rounders and that sort of thing. Okay, not four or five like there was mm. this year. But that was something that stood out to me. A couple of usual suspects popped up as well. like well, Not usual suspects per se, but the same names kept popping up, I noticed as well, being quite impactful. I'd imagine Baron Davis is one of them. Baron Davis is one of them. Kyrie Irving is another one he, in modern that's times. That's very, very true. And, well, they're involved. They're inextricably linked, as we'll get to. They are. And, and funnily enough, I mean, that's one of the things that did stand out for me going back to Kyrie Irving was just how easy it is for people to knee-jerk reaction or knee-jerk overreaction in terms of what a trade does to a team. Everyone, as you mentioned in one of our previous episodes, people going, oh my God, Dallas are going to win the championship now. They got Kyrie Irving. And it's like, are you kidding? Yeah. There's no way that... No, no. Not, not a chance. Like, <laughs> no. it's- I was looking at a Dallas box score the other day thinking... This team does not strike fear into my heart if I'm another team in the West. They finally won a game together. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But uh, yeah, certainly that. And and as you say, going back and having a look at it, not so much the volume of picks, but I guess who some of those picks became. And yes. We'll talk about that more as we go through each of the trades individually. But Very yeah. interesting. A lot of, I think, pretty even trades too. Some trades that maybe helped a team win a championship quite quickly, whereas the other team maybe had that player for a longer amount of time. So Mark Gasol going to Memphis, for example, is one that I that I think about. And then he goes to Toronto. So Mark Gasol's in two of those sort of trades on both sides of the fence. I think a trade, maybe not so much a trade deadline trade, but a trade that comes to mind immediately is the Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan trade. Yes. Where obviously Toronto gets Leonard for one season. He's the catalyst to them winning that championship you just mentioned. Yep. But DeRozan stays in San Antonio for a lot longer and then eventually gets traded away for... Well, we've managed to turn Leonard and DeRozan into a decent little haul, including players like Keldon Johnson and I think even... Jeremy Sohan might have even been one of those guys. So so I think that's the long game with this. It's maybe not as bad as I imagined it to be. But but it goes back to your point of before. It's really hard to to truly grade these things. Some of these trades you can't really reflect on for probably a decade, realistically. Yeah. So the earlier ones in that sense will be good because a lot more water's gone under the bridge since then. And we do think that this will probably be multiple episodes. We'll see how we go. And also, a lot of those earlier trades are one-sided. There's a lot of very one-sided trades from the earlier days than there are moving forward. Yeah, and I think, well, like any time, there's always going to be some pretty canny general managers and presidents and some pretty dud ones. Mm. Now, there's a thing called the Stepien rule for Ted Stepien, who is the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who made all sorts of outrageous trades. I think we might go into that in another episode. I think that might be a little bit of fun to to look at in more detail. You also brought up a rule that was interesting. Yeah, well, there was a rule going back. I was having a look at one of the trades involving Jason Kidd going from New Jersey to Dallas, and Jerry Stackhouse was involved in that trade. And there was originally talk he would be waived by the Nets and go and re-sign with Dallas straight away. Much like Westbrook was waived this trade period when he went to Utah. Yep. And now Westbrook can't go and re-sign with the Lakers. Not that they would have probably signed him anyway, but that rule where the player was allowed to go and sign up again with the team that had just traded him was completely... Yeah, it's it's amazing that that wasn't a rule in place just out of common sense. Mm. But sometimes something needs to happen in order to force a rule to happen, I guess. Absolutely. So should we get stuck in? Yeah, we've got a few. (laughs) We do. Like I said, probably multiple episodes. We'll see how we go. So as we mentioned, they've kept records back to 1987, but there is some stuff floating around. I'd read some stuff. You've actually documented it, which is really good. So we go actually all the way back to 1965. When the San Francisco Warriors traded Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain to the Philadelphia 76ers for Connie Deerking, Paul Newman. Paul Newman's going to have my legs broke. Ah. Lee Schaefer and $150,000 cash. Now, if you're wondering what that is, it's just under 1.5, about 1.4 million in today's money. Cash. Cash. 
Not enough cash. I mean, this is technically cheating because, yes, this wasn't an official sort of trade deadline. It was around the All-Star break. It kind of happened pretty close to it. So we're going to claim it. A couple of days leading up to the deadline. All-Star, around All-Star break is fair, fair game, I think. Now, I think what's interesting about this one is that we talk so much in this day and age about how the players hold all the power. They can hold their owners and the GMs over a barrel. I want to get traded. I don't want this and I don't want that. I want to go here. This is one of the first real examples of that happening. And Will Chamberlain was being a massive diva, didn't want to play there anymore, decided, look, I don't want to be in San Francisco. I want to get traded. He didn't like the owner. They butted heads quite a lot. They didn't want to pay him because his salary was obviously quite high. And yeah, he forced his way out. So the first case that I could think of was probably the 80s. So there you go. Mm, A lot earlier. Although I guess Abdul Jabbar wasn't going to stay in Milwaukee, so... Which is still crazy to me as well. I mean, the team that they had... Yeah, I know. And the team that they... Oscar Robertson, I know. Nearly had Julius Irving. Yeah, I know. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I guess if we look at the the Warriors side of things, I mean, the guys they got... Look, Connie Deerking had a pretty decent career. It was a guy that sort of averaged mid-teens most of the time. But he only ever played 30 games for the Warriors, and then he got moved on to Cincinnati for another bit player. Newman averaged, you know, 11 to 14 points a game over three years with the Warriors before he left. And started a dressing. What's oh, no, it's not Paul Newman's dressing. That's a different one. <laughs> no, it's a very different Paul Newman. And Schaefer never even suited up for him because of a contract dispute. Mm. So not very good. And then Wilt Chamberlain, holy shit. Like, yeah, he did all right. This is, what, two, three years after he had a 50.26 rebound a game season and didn't win MVP. I have to throw that in every time. Oh, well, fair enough. It's disgraceful. Yeah, wow. Wow. What could have been those Warriors, hey? Yeah. But that franchise still had a lot of success. So Well, well this is it. I mean, you could you could sort of look at it and go, well, yes, okay. They they didn't do amazingly after Wilt left. And look, Wilt went on to win three straight MVPs. He took the 76ers to a championship in 67. One of the only two that he won. I, I shouldn't say only, should I really? But, well, given how dominant he was. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a team thing, though. Yeah, well, yes, yes. Best player in the league, arguably. Well, well he used to goaltend his own teammate shots so he could score. So. Smart. Very <laughs> Maybe smart. that's why he didn't win that MVP. That's true, that's true. <laughs> but I will say this. At the time of the trade, he had dropped to 39 and 25, I think it was. It was just wow. uh, 39 and 23, sorry. Yeah. So he, was, he wasn't anywhere near the play. <laughs> this, honestly, this trade is an absolute fizzer. Oh, we might need to look in more into this because it's it's like the Babe Ruth one, isn't it? It just makes you go, why why would you possibly? I don't know if the owner was cash strapped and needed the money really he, he badly. Was, or... Oh, was. okay, yeah, okay. okay. But as you alluded to before, they were playing the long game, and this ultimately led them to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. <laughs> they played what? A 40, just a sixty year, 40, sixty year long game. <laughs> Forty three. Nathan and Matt's not very... Uh... We're in 2023. Yeah, but they drafted Steph Curry in 2008. Yeah, okay. 2000. Well, they didn't win their first championship for... Okay. Well, I was... I was... <laughs> it wasn't being exact. <laughs> Great start. Uh, now, 1980, this one's interesting, isn't it? Two big names. The Denver Nuggets traded George McGuinness to Indiana for Alex English. I never knew this until today. Yeah, you and I both. Yeah. This is... Honestly, with the benefit of hindsight, one of the most ridiculous trades in NBA history. This is just, and it seems crazy saying that after the trade we just spoke about, but this is a guy, now McInnes was great. McInnes had a great career, yes. Yeah. Great. 20 yep. and 11 for his career over 11 seasons. Really great player. Basically, is he in the Hall of Fame? No, okay. not a Hall of Famer. Um, but basically 30 and 14 at his absolute peak in the 74-75 season. That was ABA days, I will say. Level of competition, maybe not quite as high, but still, oh, still going to put the numbers up. Yeah, and fewer teams. And I don't know if the competition was that bad in the ABA. Well, I'm not saying it's bad. It just wasn't as good. Yeah. That's all. And the different colored ball as well. I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, he was getting towards the end of his career. And then you've got Alex English, who was 26, entering his absolute prime. And it was one of these things where at the time, it was kind of seen as a, a desperate grab because they the Pacers were struggling for attendance. McGuinness was one of these guys. He played for the Pacers for a number of years in the ABA, but... The sentimental... You can't underestimate the sentimental factor. Yeah. 
Well, you can't. But the problem is... He was on the back end of his career. He was on the back end of his career. But the, the weird thing, I, I want to talk about this because this is really, really weird. When the ABA started kind of folding and these players were all coming across, two years before all of this stuff even happened, the Philadelphia 76ers actually drafted him with, I can't remember what pick it was, but they held the rights to McGinnis. And so when the ABA folded and when he kind of came across, he automatically was a Philadelphia 76er. And and that's what's interesting, because when I saw his name, I was like, but didn't he play for Philly? So, yeah, it kind of answers that question. Mm. Yeah, bizarre. And so the trade to get him back to Denver was actually a really big one because they traded him for Bobby Jones, who ultimately became a really important part of that 1983 championship team with Moses Malone and Julius Erving. It's just an amazing team. Yep. But yeah, he was a, a really, really big part of that, this high-flying sort of guy who would fill the lanes. And So getting Bobby Jones for him was a really good coup for the Philadelphia 76ers. And then they go ahead and they fuck it up even worse by trading him for Alex English. And McGuinness's numbers dropped straight away, basically straight off a cliff to the point where he was out the league two years later. Mm. There's and a few of these on these trade things too, nearly. One of the great scorers of all time. It's just a shame that Denver team never had playoff success, did they? Or limited playoff success. No, well, no. I but boy, they would have been entertaining to watch. And, and that's, funnily enough, that's exactly how I've sort of put it, is, yeah, you had David Thompson, Dan Issel, Charlie Scott. Kiki Vandeweghe. Kiki Vandeweghe for a point in the 80s as well. Yep. Uh, you know, towards the later parts of that, you had guys like Fat Lever. So this was a really, really fun team, but they weren't successful. They were constantly sitting a handful of games outside of the playoffs. When they made it, they'd be swept in the first round or they'd maybe win a couple of games. You can't help but think this is probably the uh, defense wins championships uh, example. Well, yes, because Denver was always one of those high-scoring teams. They were involved in the highest-scoring game of all time, that 186. It was nearly beat, yes. <laughs> very recently. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Clippers and the Kings were a bloody good chance if they got one more overtime. One more overtime. But what they got with Alex English was a guy who, as you said, incredible scorer, eight-time All-Star, 81 to 89. So he made those eight straight. He only missed seven games in his 10 full seasons with Denver. So he was really durable. And That's something you don't hear about these days. You don't. Yeah. You, you just don't. Durable is 60 games these days. Just <laughs> well, 65 games. It's pretty bad, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, one of the best scorers of all time, 21st all-time on the scoring list. He's a Hall of Famer. Denver got the absolute best out of both players. They got the best of McGuinness and then traded him away. Yeah. The best of English. Yep. It's true. Very true. Now we jump post-1987 when the records are held as far as... It's really weird that they wouldn't have detailed all this, isn't it? It it is. Not counting block shots on the box score, I can kind of understand. You'd think that trades, they'd have a really solid record. I'd find it odd. Anyway. Well, they don't have video footage of a lot of the games going back into the 60s and 50s and all of that. So I can understand them not being able to track all the blocks. But yeah, you're right. Something like this where all those transactions are listed somewhere. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's got to be a book project out there for someone. Anyway, in 1988, the Cleveland Cavaliers traded Kevin Johnson, Tyrone Corbin, Mark West, a 1988 first and second round draft pick and a 1989 second-round draft pick to the Suns for Larry Nance, Mike Sanders, and a 1988 second-rounder. Ty Corbin was then taken by Minnesota in the expansion draft the next season, and the 1988 first-rounder, if you're wondering, Thunder Dan Marley, one of my favourite players of all time. Jeez, this is a really interesting trade. It was one of those ones at the time, I actually feel like Cleveland probably thought they won it because Kevin Johnson, Tyrone Corbin, and Mark West were all backups you got to remember Kevin Johnson, who so many of us know as being this amazing dynamic player, he was stuck on the bench behind Mark Price. Couldn't get in. True. And you had Mark West, who was on the bench behind Brad Doherty. So there's a lot of these guys that were really not getting huge minutes. And then all of a sudden, if we look at it now, what, 35 years later, we know it the complete other way around. I would give you shit now for getting the numbers wrong. Fair enough. That's no, that was it. That was me. Okay, fair enough. Wow. <laughs> oh, my my ego. I forgot to carry the one. <laughs> Shit. Well, um, yeah, I got to return the favor. No, no, that's good. That's good. So, I guess if we look at this trade going back, the, the Phoenix Suns at the time were an absolutely horrible team. They were smack bang in the middle of a 28 win season. 
They had this massive drug scandal the previous season. Walter Davis basically snitched on a bunch of other players to avoid being prosecuted for cocaine possession. Mm, cocaine was rough in the NBA for a long period there. Cocaine's yeah. a hell of a drug. Sorry, Charlie Murphy. I was having too much fun. And so the result of that was guys like James Edwards, Jay Humphreys, and Grant Gondrasic. Never heard of the third No, guy. I can't say I have either. All three of them had penalties for it. They were the three guys that got done. Larry Nance, at the time, easily the best player on the team. The team was basically ready for a rebuild, and they thought, well, let's trade away our best player, which quite often seems like a good idea at the time, but doesn't always work. And Cleveland, on the other hand, had a, a very interesting problem. As I mentioned, they had all of these guys that were sort of available to play at centre, Brad Doherty, Chris Dudley, Kent Benson, Mark West. So they needed to move off one of them. Kevin Johnson wanted starter minutes. He was never going to get them behind Mike Price. And so they kind of looked at it and said, right, let's create a little package here. And look, it was a risky trade for Phoenix. Now they traded away their best player for essentially three bench players and future draft picks, which we don't know what they're going to be. No, it's true. I, I guess they would have seen, I think, some promise in KJ because he did have a lot of promise, even off the bench for Cleveland. I can think of some pretty big dunks he had in that Cavs uniform before he moved over to the Suns as well. What's been crazier about this trade, though, is that Cleveland was actually in Phoenix, ready to play the Suns when the trade went down. <laughs> so the players were actually coming down from their rooms in the hotel, getting on the bus, getting ready to go, and then the trade happens, and all of a sudden none of these players are in the game. And so the game goes on, the Suns win the game by six, and all of these players basically have a new home. It's such an interesting trade from top to bottom. I mean, we all know what happened. KJ, 20 and 12 guy, nearly two steals a game the next season. He was an all-star the year after that. Mark West was a pretty serviceable guy. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. He's certainly really good on those Suns teams, the ones that made it all the way to the, the final. In the mid-90s, yeah, yep. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, Ty Corbin yeah, wasn't really a part of that team and played on him for, yeah, for one season and, and kind of got moved on. But yeah, the, the Dan Marley thing, that's what really, really tips this over. Because let's be honest, Larry Nance was an incredibly underrated player. You could make a case that outside of, say, Carl Malone, Kevin McHale, and maybe one or two other guys, he's probably, he'd be top five power forwards of the 80s. Definitely. An incredible player. More than just dunking with two basketballs in a dunk comp. Very much more than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, in incredible player. So, yeah, you could definitely sort of make a case that outside of the Dan Marley thing, that trade's probably fairly even. But yeah, Thunder Dan, obviously, I mean, we know about him. Three-time All-Star, two-time All-Defensive second team. One of the greatest shooters the league's ever seen. So yeah. And pretty clutch too. So something interesting about Thunder Dan. So it actually came full circle, Stewie. He did actually play one season in Cleveland in 95-96. Much to Charles Barkley's chagrin. Apparently Charles Barkley said, there's a couple of players that I don't want you to trade. And Dan Marley was on the list. So he was pierced. And that trade wasn't even that good for them in the end. They got rid of Hot Rod Williams, who was a decent big, pretty good big. He was over the hill by then. Mate. He was over the hill, that's true. But yeah, Thunder Down only played one season in Cleveland. The Valley of the Suns call it the third worst trade in the Phoenix Suns history. And I guess a lot of it is because of what Barkley said. And he never really was the same after Phoenix, was he? He was very handy for those heat teams. And he played a number of seasons after signing with them in 95, 96. But his definitely best years were with the Suns. Oh, absolutely. That 92, 93 time. He averaged about 18 a game. Yeah. Yeah. One of those really, really great guys who, I mean, look, I remember in that triple overtime game between the Suns and the Bulls in the finals in 93, you know, he turned that game around shooting threes from basically the car park. You know, one of those guys that had no conscience, Really, really unlimited range as well. Oh, when he got hot. He'd be great in today's league. So good. Yeah, yeah. So good. It's it's kind of funny. Clay Thompson is almost a clone in some ways. There's some similarities. Yeah, quicker release, but yeah, I can... I can oh, not, yeah, I'm not so, so much with shot style, but as far as game style, it's defender, 3 and D guy. I can say that. Yeah, a bit taller, bigger. Anyway. A couple of other little tidbits from this one. That 1988 second rounder was actually Dean Garrett. I don't know if you remember him. Of course, yeah. Wasn't he rookie of the year for the Minnesota Timberwolves at age 31 or something? Or he was certainly in the running for... No, he wasn't rookie of the year. <laughs> but but uh, I just love those Minnesota teams. He played with KG and, and well, even Shane Hill for a period. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I think they were mates. That's that's a good point you made. Yeah. So he actually, yeah, basically played with the Timberwolves eight years after being drafted. Yeah. Very, yeah. very interesting. 
the Suns also had one of the biggest increases from wins. So 28 to 55 wins Wow! from one season to the next. They actually nabbed Tom Chambers from Seattle and made the playoffs for the 13 seasons following that, which is a, probably a record for the Suns. A uh, very, very impressive team back then. And speaking of good power forwards, Tom Chambers was right up there for a period. Just one of the absolute best. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it's one of those things that had Marley not been drafted, you could probably say that was maybe a 50-50 trade, but he well and truly puts Phoenix over the top of that one. And that's the thing with trading draft picks, isn't it? It could really blow up in your face or it could not be too bad. Next, we have 1989. The Indiana Pacers traded Herb Williams to Dallas for Detlef Schrempf and a 1990 second-round pick, which became Antonio Davis. Yeah, the 45th pick is not usually a fruitful pick. No. But this one worked out really well for Indy. Wow, it's huge for Indy. Huge. Mm. And again, Herb Williams was no slouch, but jeez. Yeah, no, no slouch, but certainly, again, another guy like with McGuinness, where he's kind of... Oh, yeah, on the back end. On yeah. the back end a little yeah. bit. It's sort of at the beginning of the end, maybe not so much at the end, because that was more his New York years. You also wonder if the fact that it's a German player, had this been a US player rather than a Euro, you know how the league wasn't as big on Euros back then? There were very few and far between. Him, Drazen Petrovic, Vladi Divac, Arvita Sabonis came over later. There weren't a hell of a lot of them. Mm. Well, yeah, Serenus Marshallonis is Marshallonis, one, another of my, one. one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny that you say that, because... One of the things that I sort of think about with Shrimp, one of these really interesting guys in the 80s and, and something that we did see quite a lot of there, European guy gets drafted higher than expected. People hate him for it. And that happened with Shrimp. He got drafted ahead of Cole Malone and Joe Dumas and the Dallas general community basically hated him for being there because they thought they could have got these other guys. Really interesting story about that draft just quickly. Dallas and look, sorry, he did have a very good career, but he wasn't better than those guys. Well, so you can no. understand why. No, I mean, they were like Malone and Dumas were the two guys. So Dallas actually had three first round picks. They could have taken Carl Malone, Joe Dumas, and either AC Green or Terry Porter. Wow. Instead, they got Shrimp, Bill Wennington, and UA Blab. Wow. So, gee, they, they did like the international flavor, didn't they? They did. I'm impressed that you picked all three of them. them. Yeah, because yeah, Wennington was Canadian. Yeah, I'm impressed. Wow, I'm very impressed with that. Yeah, gee. Now, look, things didn't really go that well for him in Dallas, partly because of, I guess, the team. Really, the team wasn't built together that well. You had 1989, funnily enough, before this trade went down. James Donaldson, their starting center, goes down with a season-ending knee injury. Roy Tarpley was just in the middle of battling the drug issues. and Yeah, speaking of those cocaine stories. Yep. Yeah. And so at the time, Dallas was really in need of a big. Indiana didn't really need Williams. They just drafted Rick Smits and they traded for LaSalle Thompson. And so at the time, the trade kind of made sense for both teams. You had this run-and-gun team in Indiana with Reggie Miller and Chuck Person and Vern Fleming, which didn't really fit Williams, whereas Schrempf was a guy who liked to get up and down, shoot the ball, that sort of stuff. And what happens? He goes across, wins back-to-back sixth-man-of-the-year awards with Indiana. Like so many teams, though, Indiana ran into the Jordan Bulls. Yes, yeah. well, like the Cavs that we just talked about. It's really interesting because, in my mind, his best years were in Seattle. But his Indiana and Seattle numbers are very similar, actually. Yeah. And he played about the same, like not identical, but about the same amount of time at both cities. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because that trade to Seattle was horrible as well. I mean, they got, what, Derek McKee and some other crab back for Detlef Schrempf. Right, was right. an star. I mean, I just, I don't understand that. Well, Derek McKee was, I guess it was probably for promise. He was not Detlef Schrempf. No, 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 of course not. No, no. well, Detlef Schrempf wasn't. Carl Malone or Joe Dumas, no, but this is true. Yeah but, yeah, but certainly in both of those trades, the one we're talking about now and that one to Seattle, the team that got Shrimp won the trade, I would say, fairly comfortably. Now that Seattle one's not on our list because it wasn't a deadline deal. True. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned before, yeah, that second round pick ends up being Antonio Davis, one of the Davis boys. Yes. And he was a huge part of that Pacers team for so many years. Yeah, probably nearly a decade. Oh, actually. No, he would have gone to Toronto in 99. 99, 2000. Yeah, so, okay, half a decade. It feels like a long time because we were young back then. I mean, he debuted in 93, so it it got them a good seven years, got them pretty far in the finals a number of occasions. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty pretty decent. Williams, I mean, look, he was solid with Dallas for a couple of seasons, but when you look at Dallas, between that trade and the next millennium, the Mavericks made the playoffs one time for zero wins. Oh, they were one of the most... 
Well, they were a laughing stock franchise, weren't they? The Clippers, the Mavericks, the Kings for a while were a bit of a laughing stock franchise. Yeah. Yeah. When we were kids, Dallas were complete they shit. Were, they were horrible. Yeah. When you played- Even when they had the good players like Kidd and Mash and Jimmy Jimmy Jackson, they still weren't winning, were they, really? Well, so- they were the first team you played on NBA Jam. Yeah. That was yeah. how bad they yeah, were. Yeah, well, that's right. It was like, what, Jim Jackson and Mike Uzzolino or something. It was a- well, Tony had one of the worst records of, I think, Phil. Is it Philly or Denver hold the record for the worst regular season total wins of all time? But well, Dallas well, were close, weren't they? That's that's an interesting one because it, it was the nine and seventy three Philadelphia 76ers, but I think the Charlotte Bobcats finished a season like eight and sixty six. Uh, it was one of those lockout seasons. And speaking of the Bobcats, they're in some ways like those franchises. They're, they're pretty shit. They are pretty shit. So, but yeah, but yeah, not a good trade for Dallas. Ultimately, uh, I mean, Williams was gone two years later anyway. Signed with the Knicks, and yeah, ultimately Indiana wins it pretty comfortably. Sure did. In 1994, the Utah Jazz traded Jeff Malone and a 1994 conditional first round pick to the 76ers for Jeff Hornacek, Sean Green, and a 1995 or 1996 second round draft pick. We all know how the Jazz went after this trade. Hornacek, a very important piece in their, well, penultimate uh, prize-winning team. Yes. They fell to the Bulls two years in a row. They they did. I mean, look, this was pretty much off the back of the Charles Barkley trade to Phoenix. The Sixers were in an absolute free fall. They'd just, they'd lost a bunch of games. They were 26 and 56 the previous season, 20 and 33 on a seven-game losing streak going into this trade. They were not great. They needed to make a change. The Jazz were really good, but they were not quite good enough to get across a number of these high-end teams. I mean, you had really good San Antonio, Seattle, Portland. Houston, Portland teams. Yep. Uh, Utah were there or thereabouts, but they just needed that third top quality player. And Look, Malone had been a great player for a number of years. He was a very high-scoring guard for the Washington teams that he played for and a number of other teams. But the crazy thing about it was that he was an 8.3% three-point shooter one season. Really? 8.3%. Wow. You know, fourth straight season under 20% for him as well. And the Jazz were a team that needed spacing. Malone needed a lot of space inside. They needed a shooter. And that's where Jeff Hornacek came in absolutely perfect. Plus he was white, so he would have fit in with the <laughs> Utah. <laughs> this is very A true. lot of talk about Utah, the recent All-Star. Oh, yeah. It's that SL, UT. Yeah. Like really. Who wants to be a No no one no that didn't pass anyone in the proofreading. I'm a, a slut all star. Yeah, player. like they didn't yeah, anyway. It, it is. It's amazing that you can put that up and within a tenth of a second, people like us will go, uh <laughs> nope. And maybe it's an indictment on where our brain goes, but how can you not read that word? Okay, there's a comma there, but geez. It's like the CLT Charlotte Hornets jerseys where you had Lamello Ball's number one jersey all the time and it just looked like click. So <laughs> That's that's where I'm going. I don't know if you need to spell that out. But. Well, I do. So if people are offended by the word clit, they, oh, it's a part of the anatomy. They've probably hung on to this show for one too long, let's be honest. Oh, but anyway, yeah. so, yes, Hornacek, perfect guy. Shot 43% from three after the trade. The Jazz finished 53 and 29. That They lost in the conference finals to the Rockets that season. But they went on and won the championship themselves, the Rockets. Yes. Very, very good team. Yes. Yeah. Well, back to back, of course. And as you mentioned, you know, they, they lost to the, the Bulls in the finals twice in a row in that 96-97 and 97-98 season. And look, 62 wins. You know, they were they were that sort of team. So it's hard to argue with what they got out of this trade. Proof's in the pudding there. I mean, 62 is a very good season. Very good. In fact, they had home court. At least one of the years against the Bulls. The second one. Actually, second one. actually they had 64 wins the previous season right, as well. Right, right. Yeah, lucky no one won the All-Star game to determine the uh, the Bulls had 69 wins that year off the back of their 72 wins the previous year. Now, on the flip side, the 76ers, oy, they got... What, to- you mean You mean that Jeff Malone and Andrew Lang didn't produce what Charles Barkley and Jeff Hornacek did? No. Oh, that's a shame. He was with them for three seasons and played a total of 71 games. By the way, no relation to Carl Malone. No. Yeah. No. Well, just in case. Ultimately, if you go back far enough. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Extremely distant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Speaking of Carl Malone's relations, mm. that was an interesting story at All Star Weekend. We no, well, no, we won't go too far, but it was uh, the NBA had a bit of egg on their face with recent uh, honorings of him, didn't they? Should we just 
call it what it is. He's a shit dude. Yeah, look, yeah. He's a shit dude. We yeah. don't need to say what he did. He's yeah, a shit dude. There was knows. no there, there was no apology. There was yeah, no. he basically said he didn't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway. Not a vile human being. Yeah. yeah. So yes, as I said, 71 games total for Malone across three seasons because of injuries gets waived halfway through the 96 season. And the Sixers didn't win more than 30 games until 97, 98. So that's, you know, several years later. They needed Alan Iverson to rescue them. They did. Yeah. They did. The other guys in the trade were absolute no-namers. BJ Tyler, Sean Green, and Junior Borough. Essentially, the Jazz, they get a younger player, a better shooter, a better defender, and they got a much, much longer tenure from that player in their team. And as I said, Jeff Hornacek gave them success in the playoffs four conference finals or better in five seasons. And it's often about fit, isn't it? So, so look, Jeff Hornacek, it's not a sexy name. It's not the sort of player that people are going to look at YouTube highlights of, but sometimes fit and chemistry and balance of your team is super important. And the proof's in the pudding here. That trade helped them a great deal. I reckon Jeff Hornacek had one of the sexiest games of the 90s, if I'm honest. Like, well, because of his what, jump shooting threes. Just the fact that he had so many, and I always talk about sort of unique release points. I remember this one move where he dribbled out to the corner. The defender kind of overcommitted and he's dribbled behind the back and in one motion sort of jumped in from the baseline for this little like up and under floater from about 16 feet. I actually away. remember the one you mean, yeah. He was a handy passer was too, actually. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, just... I guess us is kind of what, what we would have been, what, 12-ish around then? So we yeah. probably didn't appreciate him to a little bit older. Nah, but he was a, a great player, really underappreciated. And that trade, yeah, Utah absolutely nailed it. Oh, big time. 1995, now this is another one with championship implications, Stewie. The Houston Rockets acquired Clyde Drexler and Tracy Murray from the Portland Trailblazers in exchange for Otis Thorpe, Marcello Nicola, and a first-round draft pick. Now, I don't actually know, did you work out who the first-round draft pick turned out to be? I tried, but I think that got traded on. Right, I couldn't work it out either. So there you go. Well, I guess if... If it would big, if it was a big name, we'd probably know. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is a really, really interesting one. And what I wanted to start with was, I guess, what makes this even more incredible is the fact that this was actually the second option for Portland. Portland had actually offered Drexler one for one trade, straight up trade with Seattle for Kendall Gill. What the hell was Seattle thinking? No idea. Can you imagine Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, and Clyde Drexler? Yep. And they also had uh, Dale Ellis. Uh, they had Detlef Shrimp. Detlef Shrimp. Oh, man. I don't think they had Dale Ellis. He would have been gone by then. Was he? Oh, okay. I'm sure Dale Ellis was in that 96 finals. Was he not? No. Came back the year after. Ah, uh, but he was on the team. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't on there for the championship. The oh, 97 the year after. Right, right. Yeah. Sam Perkins too, of course. Yeah, Steve Scheffler, Eric Snow, Vincent Askew, <laughs> yeah. Frank Brokowski. Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan, yeah. Former Atlanta Hawks coach, Nate McMillan. There's, there's a lot of guys on that team. Very recently sacked. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, look, at the time, Houston was at a really, really interesting part of the season. So, they're obviously coming off the championship the previous season against the Knicks. They're 30 and 17. Vernon Maxwell's three games into a 10-game suspension for punching a fan in Portland. Do you remember that? I do. It's it's kind of Malice in the Palace before Malice in the Palace. Maxwell in the packs. Well, no. Anyway. So essentially, we've got our title. We do, yeah. Look, essentially. <laughs> Maxwell in the Palace. Yeah, it's not great, is it? Oh, I love it. But look, essentially, the Rockets are in a bit of what, what you would call a championship hangover, effectively. They're not doing amazingly. They kind of need to make a bit of a change. It's got to be said, though, that they've won both championships out of low seeds. So the regular seasons weren't spectacular, but they had good lineups and they could win in seven-game series. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, Portland were 25 and 21, which is not the worst record, but considering the success they'd had in the early 90s, they kind of looked at it and went, yeah, it's time to rebuild. I guess they, they've they clearly seen that or think that Clyde is over the hill. Which, to be fair, he probably was. He was. He you know, was. This is a guy that was drafted the year before Jordan and, and yep. larger ones, so yeah, certainly does go back a fair way. But they don't win that championship without him. Well, they don't. They don't because he played really well, particularly in the conference finals. Before we get to that, though, a couple of little tidbits about this. So the first game that Drexler played for Houston, he actually came off the bench, which I thought was crazy. Uh, might have been learning the system. There, there are there are reasons why that might be the case. I can kind of understand that. If he arrived at the team late, I, I can understand. Mm. Yeah. I'm the no context over <laughs> guy. That's, like, 
What? He's one of the best players ever. He probably flew in at like 4 a.m. that morning or something, and they've gone, ah, we might ease you in quite, you know. I have no idea, but yeah. Not good enough. Anyway. So Elijah Wan misses a bunch of games down the stretch. The Rockets actually only went 17 and 18 after that trade. And a lot of people were panicking, going, oh, there's there's internal issues. You know, Robert Ory and Kenny Smith and Vernon Maxwell all wanted to keep Otis Thorpe. They were really sort of pushing back and saying, oh, I don't know, I don't like this too much. Otis Thorpe was a really good player. He played for nearly 20 seasons. And, like, solid double-double guy, rebounder, bruising big guy. I can understand why they wanted to keep him. Yeah. Well, the other thing, and, and certainly, you know, having listened to a couple of podcasts with Robert Ory, the reason that he hated it was because it's like, well, who's our power forward now? Well, that's right. And as as we know, when we talked about the redraft recently-ish, he did not want to be, he saw himself as more of a perimeter player. So he did not want to go down low and play power forward. So yeah, you can understand that. There was definitely a lot of pushback in there. And so, yeah, they make their way into the playoffs. They're the sixth seed. They're not playing particularly amazing. I've got to say something. We, there's something we haven't said yet. They're reuniting Thais Lamajama, of course. They are. Clyde and Akeem. So from the Houston Cougars college days. So that's a key a key part of the deal too. Well, And then that's part of the reason why it stuck was because Clyde and Akeem were friends. Ready-made chemistry. So it kind of worked there. But, I mean, this is the thing. You've got to remember, they trailed Utah 2-1 in a best of five in the first round and came back and won it. Back when they were five-game series. Yes, so yeah, one of the so they were on the brink. Yeah, that, At two and one. You're facing elimination every game from there. Then they play the two seed Phoenix Suns. They're down three one in that series, and somehow managed to get it to a game seven. And the, the very famous Mario Welli out of the corner three with the kiss to the crowd, which is that's a huge moment in that season. And it, it's worth mentioning that Clyde was absolute ass in game five. You know that's a a do or die game for them, and he goes. 0 of 6 from the field, 4 of 8 from the line for 4 points. Wow. Horrible. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. But redeemed himself, game 6 and 7, he played really well. Then they run into the one-seed Spurs. I'm sorry to bring this up, Nathan. This will probably still hurt your brain a bit. So David Robinson's MVP season, Hakeem kind of took it personally. Dream shakes him, yeah. They beat the Spurs twice at home to start the series. Spurs actually then went into Houston and beat the Rockets twice there. But Hakeem then dominates in game 5, 42, 9, 8 and 5 blocks. And then he had 39, 17, and five blocks in game six as well. And they go through, they play Orlando. Yeah. So Orlando, the, the baby magic, who were too young, unfortunately, they were they were a bit overcome. And I know you always talk about the Nick Anderson free throws <laughs> big time. Do you, do, do, do you think it's serious changing? Do you, do you think I'm wrong? Like, it's, a, it's, it's a question that I often wonder. Like, am I the only one who thinks this? Uh, I think I'd have to go back and watch the games, I feel like. But... It is. I think you're right. It's very easy to look at a scoreline as 4-0 and think, oh, yeah, well, they're always going to win that. But context, it is a big deal. And something can happen in game one that can potentially change an entire series. So I agree it's possible theoretically, but I think I'd have to go back and look at it all. I don't want to go on the record and say that I know that Orlando would have won that. Well, no one can know, can they? But But, like, I'm not even saying, like, I think Orlando would have won that if they won game one. I just think... It's a whole different series. That's probably the big thing. You go up 1-0, you've got the confidence, all of a sudden... And again, young team. So confidence is really big with a young team. It flips both ways. So you can you can gain it very easily, but you can lose it very easily. But, but also how it happened. You know, you've got a guy, Nick Anderson, who's been a, a pillar of that team for pretty much since, I think, the second season that they were in existence. Misses four free throws. And all of a sudden, he's just shot to shit in terms of his confidence. And... Basically, oh, they couldn't it. afford for him to not play well for no. the rest of the series, no. And, and so, yeah, Elijah Wands just went off. Basically, he was sensational throughout the whole thing. Rockets win it in four. First time that it's ever happened that a six seed wins it. I think it might be the only time it's ever happened. And yeah, look, the Rockets get three more decent years out of Drexler. Thought played thirty-four games total for Portland mm. before getting sent to Vancouver for Randolph Childress and Todd Curley. Ah, of course. That's two guys with a combined career points per game of 5.1. <laughs> oh, man. I think he was at season 12 at that point. So he was on the downswing. Hmm. But as I say, he played nearly 20. So, But yeah, look at look at his stats in the early years. He's oh, yeah. a very good player. Yeah. Yeah, very underrated guy. Yeah. And certainly a guy that a lot of people sleep on in terms of his importance to that Houston team. Everyone looks at a larger one. They all 
look at Kenny Smith and Vernon Maxwell because of the threes and all of and that. And even but, Sam Cassell, but he was only a rookie. Yeah. yeah. But no, Otis Thorpe, huge part in that title against New York. But yes, very obviously advantage Houston in that. I mean, you get a championship and you get a few good seasons out of a player versus pretty much nothing. Yeah. Not a good trade for Portland at all. Nope. At all. Next, we have in 1996, the Miami Heat trading Kevin Willis and Bimbo Coles to the Golden State Warriors for Tim Hardaway and Chris Gatling. Tim Hardaway was such a fucking diva. <laughs> he was such a diva. He was on the bench, though. He should have been starting. He'd been moved to the bench. Rick Adelman had moved him to the bench. He was Kyrie Irving before Kyrie Irving existed. But that was a team that went 36 and 46 in the end when all was said and done. Like, why would you have BJ Armstrong ahead of him? I think it was BJ Armstrong. Would have been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, you'd have to ask Rick Adelman that, I guess. Yeah, but it's interesting. Yeah, look, this was a team that had been rubbish for a good sort of three, four years. Basically, since Chris Webber left, they had been absolutely terrible. Hardaway demands a trade, did the, you know, the Kyrie Irving, basically, as I said. It's a bit different, though, because, again, he'd lost his starting spot, and he was the best point guard on the team. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit different. I mean... It's a little bit, but, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. It's not like Kyrie was moved to the bench. Do you know what I mean? There is a difference there. True. So it's interesting. I have a quote here from the AP News. Hardaway, who lost his starting job with the Warriors this season and had openly campaigned for a trade, will be a free agent at the end of the season. There was already speculation he wanted to play for Pat Riley. Oh, yeah. Look, it was arguably one of the worst kept secrets of the 90s. But... And, well, and you can understand why players would want to go and play for Pat Riley and why they would want to go to Miami as well. <laughs> so... Yeah, this is true. It's a, it's a... <laughs> Having said that, it's, look, the, the Golden State Bay Area true, is, is pretty true. good. Yeah, yeah, no, good You could pick worse places yeah, than yeah, yeah. either of them. It's very true. But yeah, this Heat team, I mean, they were really, really busy that night. They made three trades that evening, which at the time was a lot. Well, and this one was less than an hour before the deadline, so they got this one in at the 11th hour. Yeah. But to me, look, it seemed like a bit of a head-scratcher. Look, Kevin Willis played 28 games before being released at the end of the season. Bimbo Coles averaged about eight and four for the Warriors for three seasons. That's all they got for a guy who, look, he was really good in Miami for a few seasons. He teamed up with Alonzo. Again, a number of these teams that just couldn't get past the Jordan Bulls. Well, their best chance at a championship was the year they lost to that Knicks team that we talked about in the lockout. Oh, the Allen Houston, yeah. Jeff Van Gundy yeah. grabbing legs and PJ Brown and all that stuff. Yeah. Brian Grant, all that crazy stuff. Yeah. LJ getting into a fight yep. with Alonzo. Yeah. All sorts of things. And I love that Heat team. So as a Spurs fan, I was really hoping it was a, a Spurs Heat NBA finals, but it wasn't to be. Man, that would have been even, that would have been amazing. Even more low scoring, though. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for Tim Hardaway. He did start to decline about 99, so maybe three years after that. Had some knee injuries. His numbers kind of dropped a little bit. He did have some ongoing issues with Pat Riley because, as I said, he's a diva. <laughs> and he traded him to Dallas for a second-round pick. Oh, yeah, he's definitely done at that point. Yeah. But, but you, shit, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second round, but you couldn't get an actual player off him. Well, he had some knee troubles. That uh, was probably a salary dump, to be honest. <sighs> probably a salary dump. But his first four seasons with Miami were some of the best of his career including a first-team All-NBA in 96-97 and a couple of second teams as well the following two seasons. So it was still a very good trade for Miami, even if it was for a handful oh, of seasons. Yeah. It gets interesting, though, as you go further on, though. So he gets traded for that second-round pick, but then after 54 games with Dallas, he gets traded to Denver for Nick Van Exel. So you get a pretty decent quality player back. Yeah, Van Exel had a good couple of years at Dallas. He did, yeah. yeah. Part of that Dirk Nowitzki, Walt Williams, Steve Nash... Those games against, I know we always say, those Sacramento. games against Sacramento. Yeah, so good. So, so good. And then he plays 14 games with the Nuggets, including that infamous game where he threw the TV monitor. Do you remember that? No. He got ejected, I think it was in Indiana, and basically as he's walking out, he picks up a TV monitor and throws it a la Scott Fisher. <laughs> Fish didn't throw a monitor. No. no. <laughs> But that was just some like padded advertising. Yeah. That's what made it more impressive though. He threw this thing a decent distance. Yeah, right. And, and so, yeah, basically he plays those 14 games with the Nuggets, then retires. And he actually came back and played for the Pacers for 10 games. I did see this when I looked at basketball reference. Yeah. yeah. Weird career really yeah, when you really, look at it. It really was. Huh? Yeah. But, but wearing the gold and blue to start and finish his career. Yep. Albeit different. Different, different blue as well. Yeah. 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 Anyway. But no, I get what you're saying. 
Yeah, look, Miami wins the trade. They went from being 24 and 29 to 42 and 40 that season that they got him. They got smashed by the Bulls, but who didn't? Yeah. And then they followed up with 61 and 55 wins the following two seasons. And then a 33-17 record in the lockout year as well. So they, they did pretty well. And it wasn't really great for Golden State. No, not at all. That's, that was a real head scratcher. I mean, I was a big fan of Kevin Willis, one of my favorite players of all time. Really great to see him win a championship with the Spurs in 03, I think it was. But you know it was 03. <laughs> but yeah, 11 and 8, but only played just over, well, about a quarter of a season. So, yeah. What is interesting about this, though, is actually the aftermath of Bimbo Coles. So, as I said, he played three years in Golden State. He was then traded to Atlanta with a first-round pick for Mookie Blaylock and a first-round pick. So, basically, a first-round pick swap. The Hawks... Which is another trend. It, it is In a, a sense. It is a trend. Because pick swaps are pretty common nowadays, but mm. I didn't really think about them happening prior to the last few seasons. No. That Atlanta pick actually ended up being Jason the Jet Terry. He had a very good career with Dallas, yeah. And then Golden State only ended up with Jeff Foster. I mean, Jeff Foster was decent, but he, yeah. but he was actually flipped for a pick that ended up being Troy Murphy, who ended up going to the Pacers anyway. Yes. So it's just... Yeah, and they were they played in the finals team that lost to the Lakers, didn't they? Uh, Jeff Foster did, yes. Yeah. Yes, he did, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, he, was, he was okay. He was, well, was kind of six fouls yeah, to combat was, Shaq. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> Him and Austin Crozier. <laughs> yeah. Oh Austin Crozier made so much money on the back of that series, though, or the yeah. back of those playoffs. Yep. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Anyway, though, advantage Miami. Yes, indeed. Big time. Now, this one we've chucked in because we always bring it up. Well, this is just chucked in because <laughs> I, I know how much this triggers you. <laughs> it does. It does. I forgot to look at stats. I'm going to look at some stats while you talk about it. Oh, don't. Yeah, so it, the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you even angrier. The Clippers traded Brent Barry to the Miami Heat for Isaac Austin, Charles Smith, and a conditional 1998 first-round draft pick. Did you, do you know who that turned out to be? Uh, no, that was another one I couldn't find. Yeah, I couldn't either. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, tee off. I'll look at stats. Look, I mean... It's no secret. This one was, it's so funny that you've got the word head scratcher written there. That's exactly how I've got it. It was always a head scratcher. He was really, really good for the heat for the time that he was there. What it did ultimately come down to was money though. I mean, Austin was right in the last year of a deal making less than 400,000 a year. The following season, he signed a four year deal with 5 million a year. So that was in Orlando. And at the time Miami could only offer him 2.8. So they kind of thought, well, let's see what we can get for him. And unfortunately, the return wasn't great. Looking at his numbers, he actually had better numbers at the Clippers, but he only played 26 games. Hmm. So it's another Kevin Willis situation. Yep, exactly. Yeah. But then, yep. He, yeah, he goes to Orlando and he's not quite the same sort of player. Again, he's a guy who probably fit in with the system really well there. And yeah, as I say, they got Brent Barry back for him, but he said he was never re-signing in LA anyway. So he was a guy who forced his way out. And Brent Barry played even fewer games, only 17 with Miami. Yeah, okay. Now you're saying it'll trigger me even more. Mm. 4.1 points, 1.6 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. Yeah. Woo! Wow, that was a trade worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. And the thing is, like, Austin hated being in LA. Because they were losing. He was used to winning in Miami. It was a decent team that he was a part of. Oh, he was a great backup to Zoe. And, and all of a sudden he goes, well, I don't want to be here anymore. Ops for free agency. Signs in Orlando, as I said, with that $5 million a year. But then he gets traded to Washington in 1999, who only won 29 games that season. Then he goes to Vancouver in 2000. Who won Which, 20... by the way, I completely forgot about that one. Yeah, I did as well, actually. Completely forgot about but that. They only won 23 yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went on the uh, tour of shitty teams vying for draft picks. Like, didn't want to be in LA because they're losing. So he goes and signs with teams that won even fewer games. I, I just I often wonder about that Miami team, what they could have been if Austin had maybe taken a lower sum and stayed with them. Well, like I say, he was the perfect backup for Zoe. Really good backup. 